What's up? Welcome to Bow Down, the teaching ministry of Pastor Chris Tress. Acts chapter 16, verse 16, it says, As we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune-telling. Listen, church, horoscopes, fortune-telling, tarot cards, that stuff is an abomination to the Lord. That stuff is demonic. Don't do it. Stop it. Repent, okay? It's very serious stuff there. I have tons of stories about it. Don't do that anymore. It's not a joke. It's not a game. Understand, this woman had a spirit of divination, and in the Greek, the word's a python spirit. Python spirit. What does that remind you of? That reminds me of the snake in the garden. The snake in the garden was speaking truth, but also speaking a lie. Every good truth has an element of a lie in it. This is why last week I said, if you do not have discernment as a disciple in these last days, you're in big trouble. So we need to be disciples that walk with discernment so we're not under deception. And so listen, here's what she started saying. She followed Paul and us crying out, these men are servants of the most high God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. Now hold on one second. This person was demonized. And she's speaking what? Truth. This is why discernment is needed. People all the time can, can take Scripture and make it say what they want it to say out of context. Oh, you need to give. You're going to be double down, pressed down. <laughs> right? Manipulation. Manipulation. If you give, God will bless you. Manipulation. When Scripture says in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7, do not let anybody, anybody tell you what you should give. You need to make it up in your heart before. Don't be manipulated. So anyway, we've got to be aware of this. She is saying These are servants of the Most High God, true. They proclaim to you the way of salvation, true. And a demon was saying that. Verse 18, and this she kept doing for many days, Paul having become greatly annoyed. So grace to you parents who have been annoyed this week. Even Paul was, don't use it as your life verse though, okay? They turned and they said to the Spirit, I command you in the name. There's authority with that name. The name of Jesus to come out of her. And it came out of her that very hour. And the reason why I read you this is because you're going to hear a testimony right now of my friend who doesn't go to this church. Um, He goes to First Baptist Tequesta, I think it is. His name's Kieran. Great guy. Um, He is just an amazing guy. You, You would not know that this was his background and story. But his story is so powerful, we brought him in because I wanted you to hear it. Now, the reason why I went over this is because, as some of you are going to listen to this story, you're going to be offended because, okay, this can't be true, which is why 
we read Acts chapter 16 so you can understand, okay, I guess it's biblical, I guess it could happen, all right? So we'll go ahead and play that, please. I was born in Jamaica, came to the United States in uh, 1968. At the age of 12, one month short of 13. It was a rough area, it was a tough time, ended up in, in eighth grade. And that was a tough year. That was probably the, that junior high school was the toughest junior high school in the city. There's a lot of bullying. Uh, several teachers were stabbed in that school that year. Uh, I had a, my senses knocked out of me a few times, a lot of tough things. But we had to toughen up to survive in those mean streets. And so we moved on into high school the following year, got involved with gangs. I um, wanted to fit in. I was lonely, I went to our friends, I wanted that kind of family environment. So I tried pot, that was my entry into the drug world. Within a short time, and I was between the ages of 19 and 23, uh, I became hardcore. But I began to search because I realized that this isn't all there is to life. Over a two year period, I was unemployed during that length of time, and it was that time that I embarked on this spiritual odyssey, trying to find truth, trying to find where I fit in, trying to find is there a God. And uh, make a long story short, as I began to search and study, I began to look more and more into the spirit world and sorcery. I readily got into it because the seduction for power is real, it's tangible, and I want some. In any case, as we embarked on that, we began to be trained to call the spirits through us. And uh, we became mediums or spirit guys, not spirit guys, or channelers, which is what it's called today. And there was a young woman at one point that she was very sensitive to the spirit and she became possessed. That's when we realized that demonic possession is real. There were six of us young men trying to control this woman. She's flailing around and we're getting tossed around. So um, it was kind of scary. One point, this went on for about three days. At one point, she... Her body was tired. She fell asleep. We went to a local religious store. We bought a black rosary and put holy water in it. And so we didn't know what we were doing. We were just trying to help this lady. While she was asleep, we came back to the house. We placed the rosary around her neck. And there's this roar started down here in her stomach area. And it came out like her face was like, ah. In any case, she grabbed that rosary and it just disintegrated. It was projectiles everywhere. Uh, three of the fellows that were with at that point, they said, we're done. We're out of here. They can't handle that anymore. But the rest of us, we stayed. I remember at one point sitting literally on our chest. Uh, the entity in her looked at me and says, today you're going to die. Well, my response was, only God determines whether I live or die, not you. And I'm thinking, where'd that come from? That was one of the first realizations I had. And looking at, into the face of evil and recognize that evil is real, Satan is real, it's clear to me that God's got to be real. So my journey continued. Uh, it was shortly, probably within a year's time. Um, couldn't get a job. Still doing my journey and looking for where truth is. Someone says, there's a curse on you. You need to go see this person. This is in New York. Uh, she's known as a witch in the community. People come to see her. Hundreds of people come to see her. You pay hundreds of dollars to see this person. She has enormous power. When it was my turn, wait hours for her. When it was my turn, she looked at me and she lit a cigar, blew it in my face and read my aura. And it's like reading a book of my life. It was mind-blowing because she knew everything about me just by simply reading the aura from the smoke that circled my face. And she asked me a question. You believe in God? I said, well, 
doesn't everybody? We all believe God exists. Well, are you saved? I'd never heard that term or that invitation to me before, and I didn't know what she meant. Well, she explained the plan of salvation to me, but she also mixed it with a whole system of works. And uh, she led me to sinner's prayer. I placed my trust in Christ. I didn't know how I was going to do and maintain all that other stuff. But when I got up, the strongest impression, get out of this house as fast as you can and don't look back. And so I, I ran out of there. So my adventure with Jesus started then, and that was in the fall of 1979. Well, you know, I have been asked before, how can a witch tell you about Jesus? What is that about? That doesn't make sense. And I'm reminded that God spoke through a mule to a hard-headed man. And if he can speak through a mule to a hard-headed man, to an animal, a dumb animal, he can speak to anyone. He can use anyone at any time because he is sovereign. And I have realized that we can't keep God in the box. Oftentimes we assume that God is not able to do certain things or he doesn't do certain things. But our God is sovereign. He is the King of Him, the Lord of Lords, and he'll use anything in any way to bring us to the throne of grace. And I'm, I'm reminded of Saul who became Paul mm. and others of that kind. So um, I just want to encourage people that if God has his hand on you, no matter what obstacles you're facing, mm. it doesn't stop him from moving when he so pleases. <clears throat> Look, I don't know what you're into and I don't know what you're dealing with today. But Jesus promises that our mountains that we faced will be thrown into the sea. Meaning, the hill that you believe that you will never overcome will be tossed into the sea by Jesus and you. And when you look back, the sea is flat. You're not going to see the mountain anymore. There are so many things that were gripping me, that were overpowering me, and you see what he came out of, and you see the extent of God's reckless love that met him there through a witch. God loves you. God loves you. And I pray, I pray in the name of Jesus that you would not play games that today would be a day that you would say, wow, man, Jesus, I've got to get serious with you. And that you would recommit and rededicate your life to Jesus today. For those of you who do not know Jesus, listen, it's very, very simple. Christ died for sinners. That's you and that's me. He spilled his blood on that cross because he loves you, because he wanted you in his family. And do not harden your heart. Put your faith and trust in him who died on the cross and was buried and after three days rose again because he is the resurrection and the life and there is no life apart from him. Today is the the day of salvation. Today is the day of surrender. What's blocking you? What's stopping you? God is here. He's in this place. At the end of our service, we'll have prayer partners here. Look, if you're struggling with something or if you want to give your life to Jesus, that's what they're up here for, to pray with you.
you're stuck. All right. I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 28, please. Matthew chapter 28. If you're taking note, I I have some questions for you that I'd like you to ponder, and the questions derive from this text that we're about to read. That's a famous passage. It's it's called the Great Commission, but really it should be called the Great Omission because Christians don't do it. And we need to repent of that. You know, um, listen, I was talking to somebody after the service. Well, you know, I'm I'm, kind of too young. Well, wait a minute now. Do you know most of Jesus' disciples were teenager, teenagers? The only one that they said was an adult was the apostle Peter. And the reason why they say that is because Peter had to go get the fish to pay the taxes. The other ones didn't. They were teens. Don't tell God what he can't do. Every Christian's called to make a disciple. So that's the one question. Are you making disciples? Like, it's a command. Are you making disciples? And it's, even, it's a yes or no. If you don't have somebody that you can point at and say, I'm pouring into this person, and I'm taking them from A to Z, I want to pour everything that I know into their life. I've got a plan. I've got a path for them. This is what I'm doing as I'm doing life with them. Then you're not making a disciple. Listen, if somebody meets you at Starbucks and they go over a book that you're reading together, that's called mentoring. It's not called disciple-making. When our young people come into 516, they're coming into a program where they're going to memorize Matthew 5, 6, and 7 in 10 months. They're going to journal through it. I'm going to teach through it two hours a week. Then they're going to deal with certain topics that are really, really important like spiritual warfare and unity and multiple other things like that. And so we teach them all year long. We get up in the morning and there's prayer walking where we teach them how to prayer walk. We go with them. We train them. We do it with them. So in the morning, they're praying for an hour before most of us wake up. Why? Because we have a plan for discipleship, right? They have leaders in their life where they have one-on-one accountability. They have peer accountability. They have someone that's over 50. Three levels of accountability in their life coming at them because we're serious about who they come. There's a plan for discipleship. They serve in the community uh, 15 hours a week, serving in Urban Youth Impact, serving in our outreaches, in the inner city. And so they are actually doing ministry with people. There's fellowship. There's a plan. What is your discipleship plan for the one you're discipling? It's another question. Now, some of you are like, crap. I don't even know what this guy's talking about. I'm trying to shrink our church because of parking, okay? So if you don't want to make disciples, you're at the wrong church. There's other churches you can go to and just listen every Sunday. But we're not, that's not who we are. And I know a lot of people are upset with me about that statement right now. <laughs> like our leadership. Chris, stop it. Every time our church grows, you do this. I know. I know. Now, what I don't want to happen is if you don't know, 
If you've never been challenged like that before, if you've never been discipled, wait a minute. Hey, raise your hand if somebody's discipled you like that. Okay, not 516. Put your, if you haven't been in 516, Claudia, not 516. Oh, okay, okay, I'll let you slide. Okay. So, so right, we've got just a few, and there's, there's no shame. There's no shame. But look, this is the great commission that's been missed. Jesus is like, hey, I'm going to take these 12 guys. I'm going to pour my life into them. I'm going to pour so much into them. I'm going to say to them, hey, I've got more to tell you, but you can't handle it now. He was sensitive to what they could take, and he walked with them for three years. Jesus never told us to plant churches. He told us to make disciples, and disciples plant churches. If you're a disciple, there's going to be a church plant because so many people are going to be transformed. It's comical to me. People go to seminaries, and they get their masters of divinity or whatever, but they've never made one disciple. Don't go to seminary. You're not called to seminary if you've never made one disciple. Seminaries make theologians, not disciple makers. Why would you say that, Chris? Well, statistics from George Barna. 90% of pastors in America have a biblical worldview. 10% of congregants, which means you're going to get filled with a lot of knowledge, but they're not going to teach you how to make disciples. How do I know? Because your professor never asked you, are you on porn? Your professor never asked you, hey, come out evangelizing with me. Hey, your professor never said, let's get up and let's go prayer walk. How can I pray with you? They don't know you. There's 150 people. They can't disciple you. They can give you information, though. You're not, you know, I go to this church. You're not being discipled if you go to a church. All right, let's get back to these questions real quick. These all come from Matthew 28, 16, and we're going to be in 28, 16. Are you walking in the authority Jesus gave you? Question number one, are you walking in the authority Jesus gave you? Question number two, are you making disciples? Are you making disciples? Are you making disciples? And again, if you don't know how, this is what we're here to do. We're going to train you and teach you. Tonight at 5 p.m., right before consecration shift starts, I'm going to have a disciple-making vision class, vision cast, because I want to help you make disciples. I'm going to teach you, train you, and equip you to do that. So if you're like feeling so guilty or so bad, don't. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. You're here because God wants to train you and equip you to make disciples. So are you making disciples? The third question, are you walking immersed in his presence? Are you walking immersed in his presence on the daily? The next question, do you live for his name? Do you live for his name? Next question, do you love obeying his commands? Do you really, really love obeying the commands of God? And last question, do you walk with a constant consciousness that Jesus is with you, that he's by your side? Do you walk like that? 
Now, let's get into the text, Matthew chapter 28, verse 16. It says, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Jesus still worked with them while they were doubted, doubting, okay? Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. There's grace for you if you're doubting today. 18, he came and he said to them, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Look, one of the commands of Jesus, all that I've commanded you, right, is what? Make disciples. And so let's break down this passage here. Matthew 28, 18. And Jesus came and he said to them, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Now, if Jesus has all authority, how much does the enemy have? None. That's a big deal. Christian, you have to understand, when you walk in the authority of Christ, the enemy has none in your life unless, and we'll get into that, I want to explain to you the difference between power and authority. Authority trumps power every time. For example, today, when the Miami Dolphins beat the Bills, you're going to see this referee uh, that's wearing these little striped suits. You're going to see these huge athletes, best shape of their lives, been working out, and they're on the field, 300 pounds, you know, 250, you know, all muscular. And then this referee, you know, like some of them look like they're having, having a baby, but, but hey, we don't hate, we don't hate. And, and, they're, and they're wearing this shirt, and, and when they stop, they, what do they do? I'm going to blow my whistle. And what's everybody do? They stop. And what else do they do? Okay, here's a, here's a flag. And what happens? Everything stops. Why? 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 Authority trumps power. You've got to get that. You've got to get that. The demonic, they operate with great power. Kiron sat on her chest. He had no authority. He had no authority. I want you to turn to Acts 19, please. Acts 19. I should have told you to stay in Acts, but sorry. Acts 19, verse 11. And God was doing, I want you to highlight God was doing in your Bible because sometimes we look at men and we're like, oh, if they could just lay their hands on me, then I'll have that anointing. Don't do that. Jesus says these signs will follow. Signs follow disciples. Disciples don't follow signs. Walk, act like you know. And God was doing. God was doing it. Extraordinary miracles through the hands of Paul. Verse 12, so that even the handkerchiefs and the aprons that had touched the skin were carried away to the sick, and their diseases left them, and evil spirits came out of them. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. 
The seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this, but the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, Paul I recognize, but who are you? Who are you? Hell recognized Paul's name. Disciple, does hell recognize your name? God is no respecter of persons. 16, and the man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them, mastered them all, overpowered them, and they fled out of the house naked and wounded. So the Jewish exorcists, they did not have the authority, so they were overcome by the power of the enemy. Verse 17, this became known to all the residents in Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks. Fear fell upon them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. Also, many of those who are now believers came, and you want to highlight this, confessing and divulging their practices. You want to highlight practices because, see, sometimes we pray that prayer, but we keep practicing. Sometimes we pray that prayer, but we don't confess and divulge how how we are living. Some of us have been saved many years, but we keep things hidden, and that's a very dangerous thing. Verse 19, and a number of those who had practiced magic arts took their book, magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all, and they counted the value of them and and found that it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. Uh, By the way, different commentaries say three to five million dollars. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. See, when, I, when God was uh, uh, telling me to get, get rid of my chronic CD, that's how old I am, by the way. And some of you don't even know what I'm talking about. Uh, Dr. Dre, Snoop Dogg, anyway, it's where Snoop finally... You know, but I'm like, I got all these albums. They're worth a lot of money. So I'm going to sell them to the UCD. They used to have UCD stores back in the day, too. So uh, I can get that money back. But when I came across this, this, this... Why would I promote something that's evil? Smashed. Smash. Hulk smash for you jits. Hey, what needs to be burned in your life? What needs to be confessed in your life? Listen, we know the Holy Spirit's moving in a place where the prayer line's longer than the coffee line. We need to get rid of coffee too, man. We got to shrink this. Anyway, just kidding. I want you to write this down if you're taking note. Everything that's not under the authority of Jesus allows the power of the enemy to come in. Jesus never came under the authority of Satan in the wilderness. In Luke 4, it says he came back with power. When you begin to remain under the power of God and the authority of God, there's going to be a greater measure in life where you walk with a greater power because you're not compromising. You're not compromising. Now, If you're taking note, I don't have time to go there, but a lot of you have been with us before. You understand this. In Ephesians chapter 4, now setting this up, Ephesians chapter 1 says, to the church in Ephesus. So Paul is writing to the church. He's not writing to unbelievers. And then he, he, so that's context. That's really, really important because a lot of Christians believe they can't be demonized. I have seen Christians become demonized. 
And I'm not trying to scare you right now, but it's the truth. And why do we know it's the truth? Because of Ephesians 4, 26 and 27, which says, he's writing to the saints, do not let the sun go down on your anger because it gives the devil a place. That word place is topos in the Greek. That means an actual place. Mary could not find a topos, right, to, to have Jesus. And so when we are in rebellion against God, continuing rebellion, and by the way, Old Testament, rebellion is a sin of what? Witchcraft. And so we invite the demonic into our life when we walk in rebellion. Not every time, peace be unto you. You don't need to be, I sinned. Oh, no, do I have a demon? No. But you need to be aware that that stuff that we watch is real. That I've witnessed somebody demonized before with blood dripping out of their eyes which I thought was humanly impossible, vomiting and speaking in another voice. This stuff is not a joke. And by the way, that person was on staff with me at a Christian ministry. And he got addicted to something. Galatians 5.1 says this, it's for freedom that Christ has set you free, do not, do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. See, Christ sets you free at the cross of everything, but you can go into a yoke of slavery. I've seen Christians get addicted to alcohol. I've seen Christians get all kinds of stuff. Listen, you're, you're walking in a yoke of slavery, and that puts you in danger. Jesus said, whoever sins is a what? Slave to sin. So now I'm not walking under your authority, God. I want to walk under my own authority, and I want to do things my way. And sometimes we see this in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, where this guy was doing perverse things, and Paul said, kick that person out, hand them over to Satan so they learn not to blaspheme. How serious is Jesus about sin? Well, he talks about that. If your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. If your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. Now, don't go home and do that with a saw. But he wants you to know that it's better to live maimed than to spend eternity in hell. And so, child of God, child of God, that's not your inheritance. Now, we don't believe you can lose your salvation here because if you could lose it, then you're earning it and we're saved by grace, not by works. So what I'm saying is though, how much of your life's gonna be destroyed because of the stronghold or the influence of the demonic in your life? And guess what? It ends today. Yeah. It ends today. Yeah. Because God wants you to walk in authority. All authority has been given to me, and I want you to walk in it. And I've given you authority. This is what this passage is saying here, Matthew. I've given you authority to go and make disciples. You have the authority to make disciples. Matthew 28, 19. Here Jesus goes. All authority. I want you to go make disciples of all nations. 
extremely important here. It says, go, therefore. Yeah, as you're going to college, make disciples. It's a command. As you're working at a, a, a nonprofit, make disciples. As you're being a doctor, being a teacher, being a, make disciples. It's better translated, as you go, make as you go, do what you do, make. The, 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 the importance of the make is huge. Why do we say that? Because Jesus, for three years, he was more about their Christ-like character than what they did. Remember when they came back casting out demons? They're like, oh my gosh, I can't believe this. And he's like, hey, listen, rejoice about the fact that your name's written in the book of life. Don't worry about that. Doing works, don't worry about that, because listen, you, apart from me, you can do nothing, but you abide in me, all of a sudden fruit happens. I need you to abide in me for me because you love me, because you're doing it for the vine. So make, you've got to highlight that. What am I making? What am I producing? What is my plan as I'm pouring into people? If you're taking note, the word disciple is used 269 times in the New Testament. 269 times. The word Christian is used three times. And in those three times, it's referring to the disciples. In Acts 19, it talks about followers of the way. I like that better than Christian because Christianity isn't just something that you believe in. It's a way of life that you're called into because Jesus is the truth. He's the way and he is the life. And as you walk in him, you're going to walk in the way. And so disciple is the preferred term. Now, if you've been here before, uh, I've got to give a review to everybody. So you've probably heard this, but just chill. What was the cultural context of the word disciple back then? It's extremely important because this is how the system was set up. There was Beth Sefer, which is age 5 to 12 years old. And you would memorize as a little Jewish boy the Torah, the five books of the Bible, right? And you'd set those to memory. Depending how good you did, you would either get accepted or rejected into a place called Beth Madrash. Beth Madrash was a place where only the best went, right? It wasn't that you got a D1 scholarship in college, but you got a D1 scholarship to the SEC. You, you track it with me? Nobody got the, no, no SEC folks. In there. ACC, big thing. Anyway, so, so you were like the cream of the crop, the cream of the crop. And so you would memorize the rest of the Old Testament in those years, uh, up until 16, 12 to 16, and then you'd have to answer questions from a rabbi in order to graduate or pass. And then after Beth Madrash, you would go to Beth Talmud, and what Beth Talmud was, was 16 to age 30, and you would live with a rabbi. You would go up to a rabbi and you say, hey, can I follow you? He would ask you a bunch of questions and he would either accept you or reject you. And if he accepted you, you would live with him from age 16 to 30 and you would follow his life. You would apprentice with him and you would learn to follow the rabbi. You would do everything that he did, modeling your life around him. And then at age 30, when you graduate, 
he would say, hey, go and make disciples. That was the cultural context. Now, how many disciples in here today, right? None of us. Me neither. Serious. So Jesus is saying, go and make disciples. Now, here's some good news. I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 4. This is why I'm thankful for Jesus. He tore down the system. Listen, Christians, man, we don't care about culture. We have our own culture. We break down systems and we start new things. We are the king's kids that bring the kingdom of light. I've wasted too much time trying to fit in with culture. I've got my own culture. It's the culture of the king, and it is the right culture. And when your culture doesn't align with the king's culture, it's got to go. No offense. And we, the people of God, need to be more consumed with the king's culture than the world's culture. It's why I teach like I do in here. Because Jesus, when he saw the crowds in Matthew 5, 1, he went up on a mountain, and when his disciples came, he sat down and taught them. The crowds don't want to go up the mountain. So I teach the disciples. I don't teach the crowds. We're here to make disciples. You should lead your friend to Christ and warn them about me after they get saved. He's going to seem like a, just a jerk, but he's really, you know, ask his wife. <laughs> Matthew 4, 18. And while walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who's called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me. Highlight that, man. That is such good news. Jesus created a whole new system. And I'll make you fishers of men. Like you can't go be a fisher, a man, evangelist. He has to make you. He has to make you. Don't get it twisted. Verse 20. Immediately, they left their nets and followed him. And going from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, and the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their, their nets. And he called them. Immediately, they left the boat and their father and followed them. So here's the good news. Why were they fishing? Because when you didn't get into those schools, the rabbi said, hey, you're not good enough for Beth Midrash. You're not good enough for Beth Talmud. Fear God, obey his commandments, and go home and work with your family. Jesus comes on the scene, and he sees these guys, and he says, follow me. Which means, I believe you have what it takes to be just like me. Oh, that's the grace of God. Not all those years, but in three years. And think about this church. He discipled those, th- those 12. They did not have the indwelling Holy Spirit like we do. They did not have Matthew through Revelation like we do. Okay? So, so the three years might even be a little bit faster. It's really good news. And man, in Acts 14, they saw these guys with Acts 4.13, they are bold, and they're uneducated. All my uneducated folks, uneducated, right? Me. That's me, the C student, the reject, the one who failed ninth grade. Yeah, baby, 
Look, look, I didn't stay back like some of y'all said. I failed. You ever heard of kids? I'm st- I stayed back. Like, like you made that choice. Anyway. <laughs> Jesus came for the rejects and the ones that weren't good enough. And he says, I believe you could be just like me. I want you to follow me. I believe you've got what it takes. Man, that's really good news. That's really, really good news. Jesus started a new system. Jesus also didn't submit to their system, their cultural system. In John 7, 15 and 16, you can read it at your own time, but it says that the Jews were asking, where did he go to school? And you know how he responded? Listen, my teaching's not mine, but it's his who sent me. New Testament, don't worry about what to say. The Holy Spirit will give it to you. Do I remain and in my knowledge? And these notes are my trust in the Holy Spirit to speak through me because he is with me. Disciple. Jesus. He's called you to walk in his authority. He's called you to make disciples. He's called you to do these things. Now, I want you to look back at Matthew 28, 19. It says baptizing them. That word baptism means drench, soak, and be immersed. A lot of times we think, okay, that guy was baptized in the water. I don't believe that's what he's talking about here. He wants you to walk continually, immersed, drenched, and soaked in the name which is authority, the name which is authority of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit constantly and consistently. That we should live like that. That's why in Colossians chapter 3, verse 17, it says this, Whatever you do in word and deed, do everything in the name. That name gives you authority. I don't want to do things in my name. I want to do things in his name. He leads me on paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Many of us need to repent today of being our own, on our own path for our own namesake. It's not about our name. It's about his name. Verse 20. Teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. I'd like you to turn to 1 John 5, please. And I want you to highlight this memorize it because we've really messed up as a church by making Jesus's commands burdensome and hard. Jesus is not a taskmaster. He says, I no longer call you servant, but I call you what? Friend. Friend. He is with you. He is not just up, up in the air somewhere telling you to obey him. He's down in the mud with you. He's with you. And so 1 John 5, 3, it says this, For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. Now, wait a minute. It feels burdensome. You know why? Because you, you love your sin. And just repent of that. Just repent of that and say, God, give me a love for your word. And, 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 and ask Jesus, Jesus, show me what this means. Now, if you are writing in your Bible, I want you to just jot down Matthew eleven twenty eight 28, and 30, because these two verses are connect. This is a big deal, because some of you are so weighed down because you don't obey God's commands. And there's so much guilt and shame and condemnation. That's not from God. Condemnation's not 
from God. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. God loves you, and he wouldn't tell you to obey something without giving you the power and the authority to do so because he's not trying to frustrate you. He is not a bad dad. He's with you always, even to the end of the age. And so your view of God is wrong. Your view of his commands are wrong. His commands are amazing. They are like honey from a honeycomb, Scripture. They, they, oh, man, how can a man keep his way pure by taking heed to your word? How I've hidden your word in my heart that I not, cannot, might not sin against you, right? God's word is pure. It's true. It's lovely. It's amazing. So God, give me a love for your word so it's not burdensome. And so Jesus says in Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, he's like, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. If his commands to you are weary and heavy laden, you're not operating right in Christ. He says, I will give you rest. He's the Lord of the Sabbath. Every day's the Sabbath because the Lord of the Sabbath is in you. Be at rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I'm gentle and lowly in heart, and you'll find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. His burden is light. His commands are not burdensome because of his yoke. Take his yoke. His yoke meant his teaching. Well, if we look at that in the context of the day, there would be a real strong bull that they would put a yoke on. And then there would be like this skinny baby bull that they would put a yoke on. And it was a wooden instrument that would attach both. On the young baby ox, they would put a metal apparatus with uh, needles and spikes in it because the baby one doesn't want to follow. It wants to do what it wants to do. And so after a while, that big, strong bull uh, would go straight, but the baby one would be getting bloody. And he's like, you know what? I don't want to do that anymore. I don't want to do that. I want to learn to plow straight. Understand, that picture is what Jesus is referring to. You are yoked up to Jesus today. And all you got to do is follow. And you will plow straight. And it will not be a burden because his commands, they're easy and they're light. And you're going to say one day with David, oh, how I love your law. When I read that 20 years ago, I love your law. I said, no, I don't, because I want to do what I want to do. And I didn't learn how to be yoked up to Jesus. And I kept hurting my neck and bleeding and hurting other people and going off the ranch and reservation, doing my own thing as a dog returns to his vomit. If you are a person that keeps going back to that, today's the day you say, oh, God, give me a love for your law. But be honest, I don't love it because I love my sin more than your law. See, he comes to those who are truthful. He doesn't come to those who say, I stayed back. He comes to those who say, I failed. I'm, I'm kidding right there. Does that make sense? All right. Let me land the plane. Here's the last part. I'm with you always, even to the end of the day. Remember when I asked you, hey, do you constantly walk in the presence? Are you constantly walking immersed in the presence of God? And this is a huge, huge gift to the Christian. Jesus told his disciples, it's better for you to go away, because if I don't, 
right? I can't send the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is better than being with Jesus? That's what Jesus said. I don't believe that kind of still, by the way. Okay, I'm just saying. I'd love Jesus just to be here. Jesus said that. And so, man, forgive me, Lord, for disrespecting you. Holy Spirit, you're the third person of the Trinity for living as if you're not with me. Bring me into a place where I'm walking with you. I'm conscious that you are with me, that I'm yoked up with you so that I can make disciples. Tonight at 5 p.m., right before, before consecration shift, man, I'm all sweaty too. I was hoping I didn't have to go home, but I need a bath. From 5 to 6, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk about making disciples, and I'm going to walk you through how to do that. There's a cost, not financially, but there's going to be a cost of your time, your, your energy, your effort. We're going to ask you to commit to things, and so I'll explain that tonight from 5 to 6. But listen, if you want to make disciples and you don't know how, the grace of God is here, and we're going to show you how, we're going to teach you how, we're going to walk with you through this, and we're going to see God transform your life so that you can begin to bring others into the kingdom, so that you become a fisher, a man like you're called to be. He will make you. He will make you because you're going to be yoked up with him, and when you're yoked up with him, what are you going to do? You're going to make disciples. Why? That's what he did. That's what he did. So here's these questions, worship team and prayer partners, you can come forward. The questions are, again, from the beginning, are you walking in the authority Jesus gave you? Why or why not? The second question, are you walking immersed in his presence? Why or why not? The next question, do you live for his name? Do you live for his name? Are you still living for yours? Do you love obeying his commands? Do you really love his commands? And the last one, do you walk with a constant consciousness that Jesus is with you? And so as we sing and as we worship, I pray that you would just say, come, Holy Spirit of God, speak to me. Is there anything I need to confess? Is there anything that has to go? Is there anything that you want to do? right now as we focus our attention on you. Again, the communion is going to be open as well. So, Father, we love you, Lord. We thank you for your presence. We thank you, God, that your commands are not burdensome, but you want to teach us how to make disciples. And so, God, I pray for a great awakening to happen. A great awakening to happen that your people would begin to walk in their authority, understanding their identity in you and fulfill the destiny that you have for them. And whatever that is, God, that they would make disciples. Make disciples. And so Holy Spirit, have your way now as we kiss towards you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for visiting us today. Make sure to check us out online at www.bowdownchurch.com.